Hello, my name is Visha Cadell, and you are listening to a special edition episode of Behind the Face of Success. This podcast, hosted with Soho House, was a live recording from an event named Lessons Learned, The Highs and Lows of Leadership. Here I speak to someone from the advertising industry, Rania Robinson, who is the CEO of QuietStorm, an independent creative agency. In this episode, I also share some of my own personal experiences and top tips. So between the both of us, whether it's our different social and cultural backgrounds or career experiences, I hope there's something for everyone to take away. A huge thank you to Soho House for putting this event on. And I really hope you enjoy listening to the show. Good morning, everyone. Sorry we started off a little bit late, but we needed to get you all caffeined up. All the coffee's done, so I feel like we we are good to start. But I just want to say thank you for making the effort to get here this morning. It's a beautiful sunny day. We were just talking about that. And yeah, it's lovely to be here at 180. My name is Visha Cadell. I'm a marketer. And uh, quite recently, become the creator and host of my own podcast called Behind the Face of Success. And that podcast actually inspired the talk for today, which is all about lessons learned because it's all about the highs and lows of careers. And my experience so far has been in TV and tech and in, across business. And, you know, in my career, I've actually led some pretty brilliant people. Some of them are here today. I can see their faces and some other people in different teams. I've created some massive narratives for the technology sector and created some great creative work. So loads of big wins in my life so far, but also I failed a lot and I've learned a lot. And it's the thing that has made me the person I am today. And in the spirit of today's topic, I, which is all about lessons learned, it's all about being really real and um, being really authentic. So when I was speaking to the Soho House team about who should I have that conversation with, it was kind of only one person that actually came to mind. It was like immediately I just had to call on Rania to come and join me today because one of the one brilliant things I love about Rania is she's an honest and authentic leader. And that is the type of conversation we want to have today. But I'm just going to give you a bit more about Rania. So I'm going to read off my cue cards because you're so amazing. There's so much here. So Rania came to the UK from Egypt at the age of three and started school not actually speaking a word of English, which must have been so hard. She's spent most of her career in non-traditional agencies and actually worked with some of the biggest brands there are. So, you know, Haribo, Mercedes, Virgin, Google, Coca-Cola, just to name a few. And as CEO of QuietStorm, which is an independent agency, if you don't know it very well, it's, you know, she's brought a 360 perspective to it. And she, as outgoing uh, president of Wackle, she's done a huge amount of work in the diversity challenges that we have in the advertising industry. And actually, to be honest with you, diversity affects every single sector and definitely the creative economy as well. Um, she's done a whole load with Wackle. We were just talking about how much of a workload that was, so I hope I can hear a little bit more about that in a bit. And also, we launched a campaign called Create Not Hate to help to help younger people get into the creative industry. And this is where I think we have such similar values because it's the reason why I started the podcast. She's also... This is probably really cringy for you, by the way. Uh, she features in the IPA's 2022 list um, as one of the influential role models, ad ages leading women list in 2022... 
40 of a 40 list for campaign and for campaign and top three trailblazers for campaign as well. So incredible accolade and career history so far, so far, because there's so much more to be doing. And, you know, I'm going to actually start with um, a bit of a chilled question, actually. I'm going to ask, who do you want to be before you became the woman you are today? You know, it was actually really, it's quite hard and for me to sort of say that as a young woman, kind of who did I look up to that I saw as somebody I could aspire to. And that's part of the reason why I'm doing everything that I'm doing now is because there weren't people that looked like me that I can think of, in all honesty. Like, very few people on TV, very few people, like, yeah, role models, if you like, that I could relate to and connect with. I think probably, and, and this is a very controversial one, and it, you know, I always get like a, a bit of grief from my husband whenever I bring this up, but I think probably the most significant role model I can think of, not her leadership style, not her politics, but just the fact that she got to the top job in the country is our first female prime minister, Margaret Thatcher. But in many ways, it was a positive role model in the sense that I could see a woman in a really high position, not a woman that looked like me, but she'd come from a kind of modest background. She didn't come from, you know, privilege or anything like that. And that, that I could relate to. But the fact that she was just a woman in a, in a in a big position, and there were some negatives with that as well. And I think you know, I think the eighties, I was a te- probably sort of, I mean, sort of quite formative years at the time that Thatcher was was prime minister. And I think what she represented was being like men to be a good like a female leader, which isn't you know, it's obviously something that we're sort of pushing against these days. But I think probably in my early career, I thought that was kind of the way to be. But I wouldn't. I don't know if I wanted to be her, but I saw some potential, I guess, by seeing somebody in that position. Yeah, I think that says a lot about role models and having role models that are women, no matter who they are, and aspiring to that. Although that's a very sensible answer because I was going to say I wanted to be a police lady. I wanted to be a Bollywood actress. I don't know what I was thinking when I was growing up, but it was like anything I saw on telly that was like had to involve a costume or something like that. And it's interesting because also as you're growing up and, you know, I come from a, an Indian background, there's only so many different types of careers that you can or are encouraged to go into. It's, a, it's quite surprising that I've turned up in, in advertising and in, in like a creative sort of role. You know, I remember getting a certificate at school and it was in art and I got a massive telling off from my mum she was just like why is it not science why is it not maths like the other kids so it's interesting to also see how your parents also encourage you too so look how did you end up having the type of job that you have right now was it a bit of luck a bit of strategy a little bit of both to be honest so I can totally relate to the parents that don't see the creative industries as an option like I, my mum my dad was a doctor my mum was a teacher you know African family same sort of thing like that's not a, like what is that you know, you know you've got to get a proper job and so I didn't have exposure to the creative industries outside of what I was just watching on telly and I just get would get lost in the tv world whether that was kind of you know, music shows or whether it was the, the tv commercials I used to love the tv commercials I used to like recite the jingles and my mum would be say if you could learn your lessons as well as you learned these jingles you'd be doing better at school and but I just knew that I didn't want to be a doctor I didn't want to be a teacher but I didn't kind of know I thought that was another world it was a kind of another universe so I didn't really 
kind of know how to get into that. And that, again, this all sort of led us back to why we do the stuff we do with Create Not Hate and, and all the kind of uh, visibility work that we do because there's so many young people that don't even see it as an option for them. So I ended up, we ended up moving to London, actually, and that's when I realised, right, that's the epicentre of this world, this alternate universe that, um, that I was experiencing as a child outside London. And I kind of the strategic bit was that I thought... I didn't do well at school because I went to a very academic school and I was really disengaged with it. They didn't support any of the creative in, like stuff. So I just didn't have a channel even there. So I didn't have it through my parents. I didn't have it through my school. So I'd kind of, so really decided to leave school at 16, went to a technical college, did a BTEC, and then we moved to London. So it got, my, my studies got a bit disrupted. But what I had realized was this is where like music happens. This is where, you know, film stuff happens, entertainment, media. So I thought, right, well, I'm going to, everybody had secretaries back then. So the strategic bit was I'm going to get like secretarial skills because then I can go into any kind of industry and kind of get in there. And then once I'm in there, I'll kind of figure it out. And so that's kind of what I did. So slightly, slightly strategic, but but not sort of, yeah, not classic at all. Because most, you know, in those days, everyone was getting degrees and coming through university and, and all that. And still now, actually, sadly, too much. That feels so right, because advertising is such a hidden sort of sector, hidden industry. And unless you're in it, then you know it, really, don't you? Because I was doing a talk with the school and nobody knew obviously there were like 15 year olds so you got to give them credit for that but nobody knew what marketing was nobody knew what a social manager was these jobs are so hidden so I kind of get that and you know for me when I was trying to grow into my career I just kind of fell into it I was attracted to broadcast being from a tv background and then fell into advertising and I was like, what is this? There is like, what's a creative agency? What's a media agency? And started to like sort of learn from that angle. And then I realized, I just don't think I can be in TV for, um, for too long. This is when my time at, at Thinkbox and I moved to Google because I wanted to have tech as part of my, you know, remit as well. But that's because I did want to become more of a well-rounded marketer. So it was less chasing the salary. It was more chasing the skills. And that's really has helped me to be in the types of jobs that I am right now because I've understood one massive sector and I've understood another sector. And who knows? You go into another sector or you might do something else, etc. But I think what's been really helpful, and I bet you can probably attest to this as well, which is you've almost like molded your jobs as you go along. There is always a spec that you get, but then actually what you bring to the table is probably the most important thing because you start to influence the job. You start to create what those projects are. That's when you start to show up as you. So um, I think in most of my roles, I've actually molded those job specs, which is uh, quite like to say that they are. But we're also individual. So, you know, that kind of makes really feels quite right. Although as a CEO, I don't know well, whether... I, I, I did a similar... Th well, I did a similar thing, to be honest with you, but in a slightly different way. You've sort of maybe done it by sector, and I did it through job roles. So I've done almost every single job that you do in an agency at some point in my career, and now I run an agency. So, you know, I started off in account handling, went into production, originally print production, and then went into event production, and then went back into account handling, and then did planning. So actually... That's the kind of zigzag I've done. Always in agencies, always in independence. I, I tried a little stint in a network, couldn't deal with it at all. But what that has done is sort of built my CEO 
profile in a way that's probably different to maybe a classic CEO. So that's where you do sort of shape and you bring that what your experiences are, your life experiences, your sort of very unique life experiences, because we've all got really unique life experiences, but plus your unique career experiences. If And actually, there was a time where that would have been really... Like, people would have gone, oh, God, she doesn't know what she wants. She's all over the place. But actually, people really embrace that kind of career and CV now, whereas back then it was like, oh, God, you know, what, what do we do what, what do we do with them? But I think now it, it's actually really useful. We need people who are rounded. We need people who can pivot, people who can kind of look at things, you know, across discipline or across laterally and all that sort of stuff. So actually having that kind of slightly squiggly, I think the word is that everyone uses now, um, career I think has definitely shaped me as well as my very personal life experiences as well in a way that, that makes me unique. And, and that's, a, that's the case for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the reason why I'm really happy to hear you sort of go through that, talk about that, is because the process to get to a senior position is long and it's actually quite hard. But what's really helpful is once you've done sort of those smaller jobs or side jobs or roundabout the house jobs and then come back to where you are, you can actually help develop somebody from the ground up because you've actually done it. You've done that job in the past. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because once moving to sort of bigger companies, I actually saw a lot of people fail and burn out fast because they took on really senior jobs really quickly at such a young stage in their lives and really, like, really suffered off the back of that because they hadn't done a little bit of that sort of experience, build, learn, change, develop. And I think, again, it makes you who you are. And you know, talking a little bit more about leadership styles now, because you know, we're just touching on that, but what type of leadership styles have you adopted in your career? Well, I mean, early, early on, it was the kind of Thatcher style, which was quite aggressive, quite directive, quite competitive, very, like, probably quite hardcore. But you know, that is in time, you realize that's actually a really terrible leadership style. And you start to sort of, because, because, you know, sadly, you do reflect when you don't, when you, when you don't see anything else, you reflect what you see. And that's what I saw as a woman, because, but also most of the men around me, because, which were most of the people that in leadership and powerful positions, certainly for me, being sort of you know in my career or developing my career in my in the 90s and, and the noughties and so that's the kind of role modeling I had and then as you become more uh, established accomplished you sort of start to figure yourself out and you start to feel more comfortable with who you are and you do also recognize that that just doesn't really work long time long term either it's and I think there's been a big shift like like kind of industry shift that the mood has shifted over the last I don't know certainly sort of accelerated post-covid but it was kind of happening before then and you know last 10 years probably where people are starting to understand that that kind of leadership style isn't good so I'd say definitely as the years have gone on I've become like I said more true to myself which is a more empathetic style I'm a really people orientated person and I think given what we do it's probably the single most important thing really understanding people like whether you're developing comms that need to inspire and engage and change attitudes with with consumers or, or with cust customers and people whether it's trying to mobilize teams and inspire teams to do their best work whether it's trying to negotiate a difficult client relationship or client situation it's all about people every single thing we do is about people and so I, I'd say empathy 
putting yourself in in people's shoes is what we do all the time if, if you know if we're going to be good at what we do from a you know in a comms perspective so so that that is what i'd say and it's got its plus it, it's it, it can have its downsides as well to be honest because that can be very emotionally draining if i'm honest because you take on every single emotion that goes around that's around you and you know you and that can be quite it be in some ways actually i can't remember who it was that i was i think it was an elon musk documentary i was listening to and and there's something that came through in that which was he that actually it's quite can be quite distracting if you're too caught up in people and actually you know a lot of uber successful kind of tech probably entrepreneurs that they, they're not they don't let that stuff kind of distract them and i do think there's a truth in that but i think it's important and i think it's who i am so as much as it you know the, the for me the benefits out the challenges that come with it as well but like with anything that is there's always a kind of double edge to everything i think yeah i love that i feel like i bring empathy into my leadership style too having said that listening to you speak do you find it very hard to strike that balance when you're trying to manage somebody and then you just want them to get the work done. <laughs> you're just, you want to be empathetic and you yeah. want to be nice, but then you're like, I just need that thing done. So how do you manage? Oh, no, I find it hard. And, yeah, and right. don't, don't get me wrong, there are times where I haven't got the patience at all. Like my team was sat here, they're probably going, oh, sometimes you're not right. And <laughs> She's but, not that but, nice. but no, and I, but I think that's the, the flip of it is because when you do take, it, it, there's a flip, there's a very emotional flip to that as well. And no, and it can be. And sometimes I think it's hard to make tough t- decisions sometimes and those decisions don't get made quickly enough. And so no, there's, I'm not a saint at all, but uh, it's, that's the sort of set of emotions that go with it. But no, of course when you run a business you've got to get some stuff done you've got to make tough decisions sometimes it's not going to make people happy and it's not always going to be completely people first but I I think that yeah but I start people first yeah it's so interesting because one thing that I've felt in my career is I've actually modeled myself on a particular leader when I was in the early stages of my career which some people will know if you know the advertising industry very well and you know her very well Tess Alps but I was working at Thinkbox so you worked so closely with Tess and I just looked up to her I watched how she she's amazing I watched how she emailed people I watched how she was around in the office I saw her the, the impact people she had on people and how she made them feel but then I also saw her being quite like firm and I just realized you know obviously this is me in my 20s trying to work things out but it made me really realize that I'd love that type of leadership style because I have seen that sort of slightly aggressive leadership style in the past and how that really scared people brought the worst in them and I just didn't want to be that person because the impact that style has on other people you know there's a lot of bad managers out there right let's let's be honest you've all had them and the effects that they have had on you confidence wise and all of that stuff it's it can have a long-term effect as too so and it's really counterproductive to performance mm. actually so you, you do have to manage it sometimes i mean you know it, yeah and then also like i think one thing we were talking about this earlier on is what an unsteady year it's been it's been an unsteady year for probably a year and a half actually but it's really important when you have taken on a leadership role to also be a steady rock in a state of chaos. And I have worked with very chaotic bosses and it's hard because you can, to your point about absorbing energy from other people, it's so easy to do that. But then if you wanna show up well for your team, be rational, be slower in your approach, try your best to stay a little bit removed from 
the chaos and try to make sense of the chaos. I think that's really, um, well, I guess that's really helped me in the past to stay sane. And by the way, I'm not going to say that I do it very well because there are times where I'm just like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? Like, she's just told me to do this. It's eight o'clock in the evening. And it's, you know, you, you get, get yourself in a, in a bit of a whirl about that. And the other thing is also be kind. Just be really kind and be very thoughtful and to people because you will get remembered. And I think it seemed good attentions, I think, but being, being kind in a leadership role is really important because we're all going through quite a lot. And this is to your point about people, right? It's about a peop- we're a people-first industry and it has to start with just being very human about things. I want to talk a bit more about balance, actually. Talking about the state of chaos, and I just realised I was talking about eight o'clock meetings and stuff like that, which I bet a lot of people end up going through. But balance is really, really hard, especially in a leadership role, because you've got, you know, you were talking about this earlier on with, you know, you've had Wackle and a massive job to do with Wackle. You're a CEO of um, an agency. You're responsible for people's workload as well as their, you know, salaries. So, you know, how are you finding, uh, getting the balance right between your personal life and your professional life? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely got better. I, like, historically wasn't particularly good at it and, and have suffered from burnout. But I think what I've learned is once you get into a, senior leadership role your value is in your decision making not how much how many hours you're working and you can't make good decisions if you're tired or you're unraveling or you're overwhelmed or and I'm not saying those things don't happen because they do but I work really really hard to not allow myself to get in that state because I know that's when you're going to just make the worst decisions and those decisions can have more of an impact than however many months or of, of not late nights or you know that, that you're working so that's a big sort of penny drop where you go you think you're being more productive by doing more stuff but actually you can be more much much more productive by just making the right decision you know in the right moment so I I really think about that my mental clarity a lot more and then I do a lot of work on that aspect of it as well so diary like you know journaling walks yoga meditation like a lot and it's got more and more and more like layers and layers. Before it could be just the, just the yoga would do, but now it's like layers and layers of stuff. So I think that I just, I just really, and that time to me is just invaluable and it's probably more productive than two or three extra hours sat on my laptop trying to bash things out that actually I could probably get to much quicker and with more focus and with better decision-making half an hour in the morning after I've done all the other stuff. So, yeah, so I protect that. And I'm conscious of it in the, in the business as well. I'm really, you know, we've come from a culture, haven't we, in an industry, and it's still prevalent, really, really prevalent, where it's all about, like, sweatshop, late nights, working, like, you know, and, I, and I've recognised as well that, yes, sometimes you've just got to put the hours in just because that's just, you know, you've got an intense deadline, you've got a pitch, you've got, you know, something that you need to get. But if that's consistent, you know that the productivity and the, the quality of the work and your staff's mental, all that stuff, long term, it's going to be more damaging versus the short term benefit that you might get mm-hmm. from that. So, yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm impressed that you did that because I didn't. I was so crap at balance. And I know that you go out for lots of walks and it's really important. It's only till now that I actually reflect back on that last position and realise, my God, I did nothing for myself. I was always available. I was always working, spent no time on myself. And I think this is the thing about 
reflection is important and actually it did affect my mental health actually so now getting into really good habits and protecting that time and you almost need to protect your time in the way of like put it into your diary and force yourself to do it which is why I'm so like amazed and so happy to see so many people here that have come this morning just to kind of spend some time listening and doing something instead of sitting in front of their laptop doing having a meeting before you start your day so it's just incredible to see you all today but the reason why I realized why that's so important and it's so sorry to say this so late as well in my career but other people model off you so if you are running at speed and behaving like that, naturally, you know, people that are working for you will always go, oh, I should do that. Oh, I got to stay up like, oh, gosh, she's emailed me at this point. And the reason why I got a little bit like that is because when I was working at Google, it was very fast paced. We were all doing late nights and it had a knock on effect. And I just realized and the pandemic happened and it makes it really, really worse, I think. So I think, you know, Time for yourself is so important to show up well, to your point. But you also talked about burnout. Did you have a moment where you burnt out? Oh, God, I've had loads of burnouts because I'm quite an intense person, (laughs) which, uh, you know, anyone who works with me will know. But so I operate on, like, intense mode pretty much for most most of the time. So it's just shorter now. (laughs) People would be like that from, like, you know five, six in the morning till like 10 at night, whereas now it's like, it's more in, concentrated in, in the midday. So, and I do all the other bits that make, that make balance it out. But no, I've had lots of, I've had lots of periods of burnouts where I've literally quite literally had to just go off for five months and recoup. You know, I did in my, when I hit 30, actually it was only 30, but I was working literally till midnight every single night for probably about two years for somebody else, for not very much money. I literally was like, I'm done. So I took five months out then. And then even when running my own business, I've had to take like five weeks here, six weeks there, where I've just know that I'm just kind of slightly unraveling and I'm just not being effective anymore. And I've just needed to take the time. What I'm now trying to do is work in a way that's more sustainable and has longevity and doesn't, you know, require these, these big, long periods of recuperation if you like so I'd say I've got the balance better I'm still pretty intense but it's at least like I said it's just for shorter periods and there's more putting stuff back in than there's than there was in the past yeah yeah there's only one of you so yeah we like you Vanya (laughs) look after yourself but I um I was again I just in the spirit of real talk and keeping being really honest um today I was again quite rubbish because of that whole thing about being in such a fast-paced sort of environment like I I had a horrible eye infection I ended up in hospital trying to get fixed I think my eye was like this when I was um experiencing that and I was just carried on working and I don't know why I did that and now again this is what why reflection is so important Never do that. <laughs> Never put your health ahead of any company that you work for. Always look after yourself because you need to show up well and look after you know, your own body and your own mind. And I really felt like having that experience really taught me to set boundaries with myself and where I work as well. And a little bit, this is not to blame a company, by the way. This is more about you, how much you want to put into it you know I can't even imagine what it's like you know running your own business and then I'm, I always worked for someone so it's really difficult to not find it's hard to find the balance but you have to find that balance I think um, again because people model off you yeah and I also think it's just seeing where the value is is value it, it's you know it's you can 
it's not always about how many hours. Again, it's back to that. It's how you deliver value in the hours that you are putting in. Um, and that's sometimes, you know, it's boring stuff, but it is about working smarter, thinking through what you're, you know, doing more. So actually you're getting to better outcomes. And now we look at outcomes more than we look at hours, you know, as, as, a, as a business, I think. And then like, what kind of, well, have you had any big learns that you've experienced that you want to share with this group as well? God, loads and loads and loads. What around in, in, in relation to anything particular, just generally leaders? Just like um, generally in, oh, I'll kick us off. So in terms of, for me, uh, at a mid-level terms in, in, in leadership, I think I had to quickly find focus. Because if I wasn't focused, I was all over the place. And actually, I was all over the place at one point when I joined a bigger company because there was so many different objectives and every team had its own goals. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to chase... Oh, no, I'm going to go there. Oh, no, I'm going to go there. So actually finding focus was the biggest um, lesson I learned during that sort of period. And then actually, when I started to get into more of a senior level, I think I started to realise not every problem is my problem to solve for and not every fight is my fight and I think I well, I did have to fight every single fight or stick up for somebody or which I would always do but I think not every problem is your problem to solve because that's where you can be either come across chaotic or you can also take on too much that you don't necessarily need to do yeah I mean yeah. I love that I, I'm still learning that lesson to be honest with you but it is. It's like it's knowing, not necessarily having the answers, but knowing which questions to ask and who to ask them of. I'm the same. I always think I need to figure it out. I need to solve it. You know, I have got, I mean, I do a lot of work through people. I've got tons and tons, obviously, act like brilliant teams and stuff like that. But I do sometimes find myself trying to solve something that I'm probably not the best person or best equipped person to solve it. And actually, I just need to stop and go, actually, who can I pull in to help me solve this problem? Because the other people, in the business, sometimes outside of the business, that actually are going to have a better perspective on this than me. So I'm still learning it, but I think it's a really important one, which is not always trying to think that you've got to solve it yourself, which is what you're kind of what you're just really building on what you were saying. But I think that is really important. Even whatever level you're at, again, it's a bit like, well, you can upward manage, you can sideward manage, you can downward manage. It's like there's, you know, with team, you know, this industry is a team industry. You know, you get to better places collectively and it's not a weakness to go. Actually, that's not my core strength. I need somebody else in that. It's knowing what you, what the value you add, what you're brilliant at, which will always be valuable because you need diverse skill sets in any organization. And it's knowing, okay, I'm brilliant at this, but this is something I'm not so good at and I'm going to pull the right people in who are going to help me do the bits that I know are part of my job responsibility but aren't necessarily my core skills. So not being afraid to do that. Yeah, and I also think there's a little bit of a difference in how you sort of do that with other people. So, for example, if it's a case of you've noticed something in another sort of part of the business and you think that's a thing rather than delegating that as a thing you raise awareness and I think that's the difference as well in terms of it is a problem you found it you've got to share it versus like I need you to do it which I think has I've seen happen and I've seen it sort of fail badly because you go and pick it up yourself as well um so there's I've got some I've got a question on being a female in business actually so as a female in business, what do you think the biggest requirements are to be accomplished in the advertising and creative sector? Better equality, uh, better 
kind of proportionate representation in leadership roles. I mean, this is a big, big focus for us at Wackle has been in my year is this kind of 50% representation of women in jobs where we can actually make systemic change happen. We're still, yes, we're in the C-suite, but we're not in the roles, the really strategic sort of final decision making or enough actually enough because you know we are making progress but you know we're talking about women in the top jobs and every layer of leadership being equally represented and representing society women across society not just you know one type of woman as well so that that's the big thing because I think once you get that right everything else will kind of happen and we know it's good for business and we know it is good for organizations so yeah and I think those kind of stats and those facts actually uh, are so important for men to realize I'm happy to see two men here which is brilliant to see because men lead women but also are part of that uh, gender equality conversation as well so the more we have men into that conversation knowing these stats is really really important for us it's and also it just helps you learn to be a better leader too one thing I found is sometimes um, a lot of there's a lot of women here so they'll probably feel this too which is you almost feel like you can't say something or, or be bold, but be as bold as a man can be, truly. Um, go for the thing that you thought um, you want. And also, when I show up to certain things, I, or show up on an email or show up in a room, is to base what you're saying on um, knowledge and a, and a thorough point of view versus based on opinions, because your opinions can be biased as well. And I think that's really helped. Um, mean to work things out if you're on the creative side I always think it's really important to know what's happening on the business side and if you're on the business side know what's happening on the creative or consumer side as well you need to know the especially on if you're on the consumer and creative side if you don't know the business side and how the company makes money you're you're losing out on so much knowledge that could help you be so brilliant at your job so those are kind of few things that I learned in my time. I agree with that last point. You can't be credible if you don't understand somebody else's perspective. And again, it's back to that point I was saying about how useful it's been for me having done multiple jobs over my career is that, you know, if you want to command authority or respect or, you know, room, you know, take, taking space and taking, you know, room and having a credible presence is you've got to understand the other person's perspective and be able to speak their language, whether that's a commercial conversation or creative. So, yeah, I, I really love that. Actually, I think that's a really important point. Do you do anything to kind of meet those requirements, meet those needs, as in anything you do outside to go work out, that's how I should approach things or... I mean, I, I read a lot of stuff. I read a lot of books. I've read books on how to be more creative, even though I'm not a creative. Yes, I run a creative agency, so I should, but I don't have a strategic role in the business, but I'm always reading books on behavioral economics or on um, psychology, on your neuroscience, or so I can have a proper conversation with the planners as well about it. So I do, like, everything to do with my business, I've got an interest in, not just the bit that you might go, well, that's my my core focus. So, you know, we do encourage the creatives to understand the strategic side and the suits to understand the strategic side. And, and, you know, so I think we can just have better conversations if we understand the other dimensions of the business. So I think for me, it's really important to not go, that's my job. If you're in a business that you're running, you're, you're involved in a team, you're involved in a process, you need to understand and make it your business to understand the other aspects and the other dimensions of that. Because then you can just have more credible conversations and command more respect because 
people will go, you, you kind of get it, instead of just going, oh, don't know, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand creativity. They don't understand planning. You know, that's sort of, not, that not that anyone does that in the agency, but, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so if you want to be able to negotiate and talk to people or be listened to, you have to understand the subject matter so yeah. yeah and I think that our conversation is such an important one so get out your bubble and go and talk to people but this is why networks are so important getting on the phone and talking to someone is such a brilliant thing to do get a coach if you need it but I have people that I really rely on and they are men and they are women and they give me different perspectives and they are more experienced than me that I call up call them on and ask them for advice do you have any common questions that are asked to you by women Women are really good. Like I mean, We were having this conversation earlier, weren't we? And this is maybe a little bit of a controversial thing to say. Um, so I'm going to tread carefully. But thinking about from a team perspective, I, you know, I find that women are much more open to kind of wanting help and support around personal development. Really, really like strongly, I think you end up having all sorts of conversations with your female colleagues that you don't always have with your male colleagues. Obviously, I do loads of things like this as well, so it can be a bit skewed because obviously, I, you know, you get asked about certain things. I would say there's a kind of real drive and maybe because we have been at such a disadvantage for so long and I do think people are, anyone who's kind of probably at a disadvantage has maybe got used to having to kind of build advantage, if you like, in whatever shape or form that is and that's through getting mentoring and through getting advice and coming to things like this. I don't see so much of that from my male colleagues, if I'm honest, and there's things like this. This was a unisex event, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't just aimed at women, but, you know, you can see in the room, you know, we both posted on LinkedIn and various things. So I, I think, yeah, I don't know if that actually answers the specifics of the question, but I, 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 does it, yeah, did it answer? Kind of, was yeah. I think maybe, development. I think, whereas, yeah. Development, development, yeah. Personal development, growth, yeah. yeah but not I, necessarily just technical skills-based, but more rounded, yeah. soulful, human kind of, stuff do you know what I mean yeah yeah I think I get a similar thing actually which is like how do I become more assertive how do I be seen how do I be more visible although I have had a few men ask me those questions as well how can I be more visible how can I deal with being mansplained to that has happened a lot how can I put myself forward for a role that I've never done before so those are all like um help me get there and that is the type of questions I get. And I think with, um, obviously, I've led men, it's what you have. And usually those are around questions I normally get would be, you know, related to the work itself. But I, I would love more men to ask those questions, actually. I'd love more men to ask about how can I be more developed, help me grow, especially because there's more women are rising to be leaders and are in those leadership positions too. So I, I hope we'll see some change there. Thank you so much, Rania, for everything. Thank you for showing up today. Um, and thank you to everybody here. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, and have a good morning. Hello. Thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If you've liked what you've heard, then please do share this podcast and any others you like in the series to your friends and family.